Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest and I have Joyful Joy on the show. Now Joyful Joy is a mental health advocate and eating disorder survivor who uses her 13 year battle with anorexia, depression, anxiety and BPD to help others overcome their eating disorder, support their mental health and learn to love their body. And Joyful Joy also has a podcast called Joyful, which is focused on mental health, eating disorder recovery, and generally bringing joy to life. Now, I first was introduced to Joy on Instagram, and I'm so inspired by her content and her positivity and how she really shares with such openness, which is really, really helpful to so many people. So I'm really looking forward to this interview. Let's get to it. Hi Joy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So Joy, could you just tell us a little bit more about sort of who you are and kind of what you're what you're doing at the moment? So my name is Joyful Joy on Instagram and it's what I do. I am a mental health advocate. I talk about eating disorder recovery and general mental health stuff. I do other stuff to earn money and keep myself going, but this is kind of my main passion is, is helping other people through my own experiences. Brilliant. Sounds really great. And I think I know just from when I've been sort of following you on, on Instagram, Joy, I just think your messages are really inspiring and very hopeful and really encouraging. Because I think from what I understand as well, you've come from quite a dark place, but you've worked really hard on your recovery and you know, you're in a very different place now. Completely. Yeah. And it's, it's been a really long process. And I think that's why I wanted to make something good out of it and help other people and kind of give an inspiring message that you can, you can recover because it doesn't have to take as long or as painful a process as it did for me. Mm, sure. So Joy, could you tell us just a little bit about sort of your story and sort of, you know, just how you came to develop an eating disorder and, and a bit more about that? Sure. So I started when I was when I was younger, I was diagnosed with depression when I was about 11 years old. I had suffered quite bad bullying and my at home life was quite difficult. I had a parent who had very severe mental health issues and my parents were going through the process of their marriage falling apart. So there wasn't really a safe space for me because school was unsafe and home was and challenging. And I had to, there's a lot of things that made me grow up quite quickly. And when my parents split up and my dad moved out, I felt everything was out of control. And it was kind of the only thing that I could control was what I was eating. Mm-hmm. And it got bad quite quickly. And I was sent to my first eating disorder clinic when I was 14. So I was in my GCSE. I was in my, when I was in the eating disorder clinic, I was actually in my final GCSE year. So I missed a whole term of that year. And that was kind of my main motivation for getting out. It wasn't actually getting better. It was just being able to complete my GCSEs. 
And when I kind of managed fairly well after that, and but when school finished, everything fell out of control again. So I turned back to my eating disorder as like a it was like the place of comfort is where I felt safe, where it's where I could control everything was was within the eating disorder. And I was sent to my second eating disorder clinic and this time kind of knew the tricks of the trade, knew how to get out. So played the part, ate all the food I needed to and then left and relapsed very quickly. But the head of the local eating disorders services near me, in my the county that I grew up in, basically said to me that I didn't have an eating disorder, that I'd been making it up and that they weren't going to help me anymore. So it just mm. felt like all the doors were shut and I there was no real future. But thankfully, I had mother who was really, really just a great support and fought my corner. And we connected with a local eating disorder charity in my county. And we connected with an eating disorder dietitian who my mum knew through other people. And all those things helped me get back on track. I had a mentor who Mm. was someone who recovered from eating disorder. And that was really valuable. But it was all to get better to go to drama school. I I wanted to be an actor and I eventually got in, but I was just in this constant state of quasi-recovery. And so that meant that I relapsed several times. I relapsed at drama school. I relapsed after drama school. And it took until two years ago when my mental health was at an all-time low and I was just suicidal. I didn't want to live anymore. My, My emotions were everywhere and... I just didn't see like it getting any better, but I was signed off from work and I kind of realized in that time that if I continued on the path I was going, it wasn't going to get any better. I wasn't, I'd been, I'd spent 13 years of my life starving myself, controlling the size of my body. A relationship had fallen apart. I'd lost some friends. I wasn't in control of anything at all but the eating disorder convinced me that I was. And I just had enough. I just had enough of being hungry all the time and being exhausted all the time. And so I started recovering. And this time, no one was helping me. I started getting psychotherapy weekly. And that was the first person who kind of realized that the eating disorder was just part of the problem. It wasn't there was a whole load of stuff that needed to be unpacked. And that was what was behind the eating disorder. It wasn't that I wanted to be, you know, it wasn't that it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't an aesthetic thing. It was yeah. everything that was going on inside my head. And when I took recovery into my own hands and I was the one that was, that was doing everything and going like something needs to change. That's when things started changing. That's when I was able to fully recover because there wasn't somebody else doing something for me. It was me. I was, I was doing, I was doing all the things that I actually needed to and what everyone had been, all the kind of toolkit that I've been given over the years, I was actually finally using. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, my story. Mm, sure. Thank you for sharing that. And it sounds like, you know, it was quite a journey. And I just think what's so significant at the end you know towards the end is in a way it was about you making that decision wasn't it so sort of in a way that you wanted to change and you were really engaged and then motivated in that process yeah and I think that's it I think you know parents or loved ones or partners can 
express their concern and say that you need to do something or try and take back control or you can you can get help from so many people but if you're not on board if it's not it's a really difficult to recover when you don't want to it's mm. really impossible it's impossible yeah no absolutely I think motivation is just crucial isn't it you know and genuinely yeah coming from you not from not doing it for anyone else So Joy, can I just ask you as well, you know, just going back on your story a little bit, you know, when you very sort of started out controlling food and, you know, restricting, I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of stress going on for you in your life at that time. And did you, had you sort of consciously thought as well about wanting to lose weight or was it more of a just kind of like you found by restricting that kind of helped you to cope or, you know, could you just tell us a bit more about that? I did want to lose weight. There's a kind of really weird, throughout my childhood, there's really weird points where suddenly I decided that I want to lose weight. Like I gave up sugar when I was eight. I became a vegetarian, trying to lose weight when I was nine. All these things where I was just really aware of my body. I was, I was just a child. I just had, you know, child puppy fat. I wasn't, there were Mm. a lot of kind of popular girls were quite lean and athletic. And I was very aware of my own body. So and a lot of my the bullying that was happening towards me was to do with the way I looked. I looked different. I was weird. I behaved weird. And mm. I felt like beginning to diet and then turning into, in, into very much an eating disorder mm-hmm. was my way of trying to be a good person, trying to be liked. And a lot of that is actually tied up with all of that. It's just this this need to be a good, to be good, to to Mm. be seen as good and valuable. And that's the only way that I saw how was by losing weight at 14 to think that the only way that you have any kind of value is by being thin is is terrifying. Mm. We're so true, isn't it? It is quite terrifying, but I think it's just so sad as well, isn't it, that we you know, we do live in this culture that reinforces that message. And even just like, I think like healthy week in schools that you have in primary school where kind of, you know, it's good and bad foods and sugar is demonized. And it's very easy, isn't it? To kind of, I think if you're not feeling good about yourself to kind of feel like, oh, well, losing weight, that's going to make me feel better. I completely agree. And whenever I hear people say, like when I speak to some children and they say stuff like, oh, you can't have too much chocolate because it's bad for you. It's like anything's bad for you if you have too much of it, but there shouldn't be any, we shouldn't be teaching children about there being good food and bad food. Or I think a lot of that education system with the healthy plate, you know, this is how much your plate should look like. It's Mm. just, I'm not sure it's necessary to teach that to children because it kind of instills that same thing that you were just saying of like, maybe if I lose as an adult, you start going, if I lose weight, then maybe things will be a bit better. Like if I focus on this, then it's, yeah, Mm. it's very strange. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Joy as well, obviously you had like two inpatient admissions, like, you know, how was it being an inpatient as a teenager as well? You know, how was it? It was very strange. I was kind of so numb to everything at that point that it wasn't scary that I was away from home it was a good thing in in that respect it was just strange because I felt very aware that I was different from all of my peers because everybody else was just getting on with their lives and doing stuff and I was stuck in an, in an eating disorder clinic being told that I couldn't leave or I had to be watched at all times I think that was the difficult thing is is constantly mm. being watched and 
and things being removed from you and having to comply with things that you don't necessarily want to. I remember having a, a right battle about they wanted me to engage in a mindfulness. I, I love mindfulness now. I talk about it all the time. But as a teenager, I just really resent. I just I was that awkward teenager who just resented being told what to do. So being told to sit in a room and relax, they eventually told me that I didn't have to go anymore because I just I just used to get so angry. <laughs> But yeah, it was very strange. And, and actually both experiences were very different because one was part of the Priory. So it was very, it was interesting the amount of funding that went into that. The NHS funded it, but it was interesting to then go to an NHS eating disorder clinic and the comparison it was very interesting mm. and also kind of sad that they, there, is, there is such a stark difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I'm assuming the NHS was a lot more basic, was it, compared to the yeah, Priory? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone listening has any doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah. There's people there who really want you to get better, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Sure. And did you find joy as well? Like when you look back on the stage you were at of your eating disorder then as well, do you think as well? that the an inpatient admission was the thing that you kind of needed at the time oh <laughs> that's quite difficult to answer isn't it so you know I guess I guess at that stage you were probably in a bit of a bubble weren't you almost in terms of your decisions were probably taken quite out of your hands I would imagine and both times they were I was the first time they just literally the next day I was being sent to the eating disorder clinic and the second time I was actually in a psychiatric hospital and hadn't eaten for a few weeks. And I just woke up one morning and collapsed and woke mm. up on a heart failure ward and then was taken by ambulance to the eating disorder clinic. So both the times the choice was taken away from me in retrospect, I'd be really interesting. It'd be really interesting to hear other people's perspectives on this actually, because in I don't feel like having inpatient treatment was not helpful because I was just surrounded by other anorexics. So if I could go back, I don't regret anything in life, but I, I'm not sure it was actually helpful. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it's so tricky, isn't it? Because I think it's almost, there's a bit of a dilemma almost. When someone's that ill, almost, it seems almost the best way to support them is to kind of institutionalise them for a bit and have that intensive support. And I guess sometimes it would be much harder to deliver that intensity of support at home. But then I think on the other hand, it does take you away from your peers. It is a very controlling environment. I mean, it kind of has to be to kind of work, doesn't it? And of course, as well, like you are surrounded by other people that are struggling with the illness, which sometimes can be quite triggering. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, I think when I think it's the fact that you're because your choices are taken away from you and other caregivers are in control of what you're doing, how you're eating, how you're getting better. You haven't got the control or the impetus to actually make choices that are for yourself and are towards a healthy state of recovery. So mm. I hope that in future things are moving towards that. But it's, you know, I guess in, in many ways, things have developed quickly over time. And if you look back 100 years ago, things mm. would be a lot more stark. So we're always yeah. changing, positive developing. But yeah. Mm, sure no so just interesting way to hear your thoughts on that and then obviously after you would had your inpatient admissions it sounds like you were kind of in a 
a better place, but you were sort of still like you sort of partially recovered almost. And we we sort of quite into I think I might have heard this on your podcast, like sort of clean eating or sort of wellness and sort of the eating disorder more taking that direction. Yes, so much so, so much so, and was just obsessed with exercising all the time and. I'd have like a treat day and then it was right back to like looking back now I cannot believe that like I thought that was recovered and the amount of calories that I survived on for all those years like I'm surprised I'm surprised that I was even fun- like able to function but in my mind I was like I'm healthy this is like how healthy people eat this is you know it was very strange it was very very strange Mm, sure and I think it's not uncommon is it I think in you know to be to for one to get pulled down that kind of wellness road and it can kind of feel like maybe when you're in it that you are doing the right thing because of all these kind of government messages and social media and everything else I think you know it can be quite easy to kind of convince ourselves maybe that we're doing the right thing Mm, yeah Completely. And yeah, exactly. You think that you're nourishing your body and being good to it by only eating what you deem to be good foods. But, you know, life is about balance and to only see the world in black and white by only eating clean is not a life of balance. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then kind of going in terms of like kind of going off to drama school and everything, like, is that something that had you had really wanted to do for a long time? Or, you know, has that been sort of like a, a dream or a goal for you? Yeah, it'd been my forever thing. I'd always wanted to be an actor and it was always the end goal. I tried to audition for drama school and had got like to final recalls and my body, I just, I was so ill that I just didn't, I didn't have the energy to do any of the physical stuff at all. And so that was kind of when I went, okay, I do actually need to try and get a little bit better. Because at that point when I'd auditioned the first time I was, I'd gone into a, a major relapse and so I focused all my energy on getting foot, like what I deemed to be fully better, but was a level of better. And then, you know, went to drama school. And in in my mind, to be an actor, you needed to have a tiny body. So it, it kind of, in many mm-hmm. ways, exacerbated the situation. And if I could go back and do it differently, I would have, I would have eaten a lot more and had a lot more energy for drama school. But yeah mm. yeah no sure well I think we're all of us we're kind of doing the best we can at the time aren't we oh I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so and do you think as well sort of in that whole kind of drama actor world or whatever did you feel more of a pressure as well to you know change how you look or you know did it feel like you sort of said that you felt like as an actor you'd have to have a smaller body but do you think as well did you really experience those messages around you in that world Oh yeah, completely, completely. So much. I remember we had a director in in second year of drama school who gave this great grandiose speech about how he changed this young actress's life because he'd recommended that she went on the salads and she'd lost all this weight. And now she was, you know, X, Y, Z and in this, this and this. And I remember we made a pact at the end of second year that we weren't going to go on any diets before third year. And we were just going to like embrace who we were and just be you know talented actresses who were whatever shape and then in the summer over second year and third year I relapsed again and when I graduated and I went when I was working as a professional actor on your spotlight which is like your actor's profile 
you put your weight you can put your weight and when you get casting calls out for like commercials or adverts they'll be they'll say like size six size eight young actress very slim athletic there's all this stuff going out Mm. and not just for commercials for other stuff as well and I just felt that the only way I was valuable as an actor or I was good as an actor was if I maintained having this this frame that was the one that you see everywhere. And I remember we had this movement teacher who was like, oh my gosh, it's so boring that all we see is the same body type when the world is such a magical place with everyone having different body sizes. And it terrifies me to think that in the future that everyone will just have like a uniform body shape. And I hate to say it because like, I'm not an actor anymore and I've left that world and I'm very grateful for my time in that. And I'm very grateful that most of my, like majority of my experiences were really lovely and joyful, but it kind of is the way that you see so many of the people who are succeeding and continuously getting work are, and it, I just think it's sending out really bad messages and giving really bad role models to young people to think that the only way they can become successful or famous or a good actor is if they are thin. Mm. You know, it's such a toxic message, isn't it? And I mean, I think I'm not surprised, Joy, that you would have relapsed in that environment because <laughs> I think, you know, I think anybody even in that environment that went in with robust self-esteem and never had an eating disorder would have still been extremely vulnerable to developing issues with food when you've got someone standing up kind of giving those messages definitely and the the word diet is thrown around so much with actors all the time like all the time and I've known a fair few actresses who have recovered from an eating disorder got an eating Mm -hmm. disorder have disordered eating and just not talked about Yeah, no, I think it's extremely common, actually, isn't it? But I think, yeah, it's something that's just, yeah, it's not talked about. And I guess there's a lot of shame and it almost becomes part, you know, almost becomes kind of normal in a really kind of toxic way. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, so it sounds well for you. So did you sort of make the decision that that road wasn't going to be for you in the end? Did you kind of, although you obviously really had loved lots of of aspects of it, did you kind of make a decision that wasn't going to be the right career for you? It was a bit of a shock actually when I figured out, I was trying to figure out things that weren't, when I was like starting to properly recover, like fully recover, I was looking at things that weren't bringing me joy or weren't serving me anymore. And I just realised that, it hadn't been making me happy for years. I still love, I, I love theatre acting, but you can't make a living from just acting on stage. And it was just a constant state of anxiety because you're going through to audition after audition after audition. I remember having a conversation with my godfather, who's a psychologist, talking about how your brain can become addicted to cortisol when you keep putting your body under constant anxiety. And so it will recreate situations or like, you'll have panic attacks because your body is is looking for anxiety everywhere. It's the fight or flight mechanic. And mm. he, when I was discussing with him at acting and how I wasn't sure I wanted to do it anymore, he was like, you're constantly putting yourself under all this pressure and anxiety all the time. No wonder that you've had this massive burnout because you're just under so mm. much stress. So a lot of my friends say to me, you know, it might not be, it might not be forever. And I don't know what my forever job is and I don't know what my forever mm. is, but 
as long as I'm happy. And so I, I was really glad that I actually let acting go. I was shocked. I don't think 10 year old Joy would be very happy with my decision, but I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess as well, it sounds like it was a really brave and actually very wise decision as well. Because I guess it would have been it could have been quite easy, I suppose, to kind of stick with it just because you'd had this dream for so long. And, you know, I guess it, it probably took quite a lot of kind of courage and self-reflection and insight to be able to kind of step back and really lay the cards on the table and be honest with yourself about how you felt about it. Yeah, and not convince myself I was a failure. I think it's really difficult when mm. every, and everybody knew me as, as, you know, Joy the actor. So to be like, oh, actually, I'm not... <laughs> I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm joy. I'm, I'm me. Mm. There was that kind of trepidation of people thinking, oh, what are people going to say? Are they going to think I'm a failure? And I actually think I want to talk about it more often, actually, because I think there's real bravery in, in changing your mind and changing your direction and, and not just doing the same thing because you feel obligated to, because that mm. way matters lies. I think it's, I think it's really important to reevaluate and think about what is serving you. Mm, yeah and I think it's such a great point and I think you know all credit to you Joy as well for being able to kind of do that at that stage because I think you know sometimes that takes people years of like being in the wrong career to sort of you know make that decision or to really sort of touch base with their authentic self whereas it sounds like you know I'm I'm sure it was a bit of a kind of tricky conflicted process but you know I think you did really well to kind of be able to to do that and come out the other side yeah oh thank you Um, so can you tell us a bit more as well about like you were sort of saying you were just fed up with eating disorder in the end that you know you were just sort of could see that you're almost living this half life and you're just fed up with being starved fed up with just not being able to do the things you wanted to do and I mean what sort of things do you think kind of led to that decision like was it when you were having therapy and you know was it kind of lots of things coming together that really started to kind of gather momentum to help you get on a different road yeah I think it was when I when I had the mental health breakdown and I had to go home and live with my mum I was really aware when when I actually started getting psychotherapy that I couldn't regulate my own emotions. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't have a stable mm-hmm. mental health because I wasn't actually feeding my brain at all. Yeah. So it started off as that. And I started off, you know, gradually just making sure that I was eating breakfast, lunch and dinner and, and snacks. I was following like a meal plan that I remembered from, from being with an eating disorder dietitian And then I started like following my curiosity. So I was like making interesting porridges and like exciting things to do with that. And, and then if I was then, because I was doing that and I was like making, and it was, it was like, it started off like very like healthy wellness porridge that you see, you know, that, that kind of like aesthetic that you see on Instagram. But the more I started following my curiosity, the more, I wanted to make more visually appealing meals and try out different recipes. And I was just following, following that curiosity and not listening to that voice that was saying, like, what are you doing? Like, this is not what we do. What, like, what if this happens? What if your body changes? I was just 
I was just like, I need to let this go and just see what see what happens and and sit in that uncomfortable body feeling that you have to go through in order to come out the other side. And so I, you know, when people invited me out for dinner, I would say yes. Even if I'd had like pizza the night before with somebody else, I was just really feeding that child, like child version of myself that was actually being listened to for the first time. And that's kind of what helped me keep moving down that path of recovery. Mm -hmm. So almost being able to really, it sounds like you were kind of being much kinder to yourself, weren't you? And like almost, like you say, feeding that child part of yourself, taking care of yourself and also being a bit more kind of creative and experimenting. And I guess just kind of like daring to go with it, sort of letting go. Completely, completely. And that, yeah, letting go, that's the, that's the big thing, I think. Mm. So it sounds as well that actually once you started to let go a little bit more, be more relaxed with your eating, I guess then you were more nourished and that really helped did it with your sort of emotional regulation and, you know, being able to kind of deal with your emotions. Yeah, yeah. And it, it meant, because obviously like I'm saying all this thing, these in like a really positive way, but mm. at the same time, while all this was happening, I was dealing with panic attacks all the time, but I was more able to talk about how I was feeling and help myself when I was in those kind of situations, which wouldn't have happened before when I wasn't feeding myself. It would just been, I remember before I started recovering, I had this horrible panic attack where I just thought I was actually going to die. I just couldn't stop just kept going on and on and on and one of my flatmates heard me and I I wasn't even that close to them and he just heard me upstairs like unable to breathe and came upstairs and rang my mum and my mum was saying like call an ambulance because they just kind mm-hmm. of didn't know what to do whereas when I was actually feeding myself and and getting slowly better I was able to talk to people I was able to just I think I was able to take better care because I was taking better care of myself. I was able to, I was actually able to take better care of myself, if that makes sense. And I just started celebrating all those little things that were happening because I was feeding my brain. I had more energy and I started noticing those things. What, what was I gaining other than weight? I wasn't focusing on like the weight aspect or I was trying not to as much as I could. And by focusing on the, positive non-scale stuff I was able to kind of change my vision of how it all was and and keep talking about how uncomfortable I felt I kept on talking about it as opposed to just internalizing it and so it became the eating disorders problem if that makes sense if I kept on Mm. going over it in my head and, and spiraling myself out of control whereas if I spoke to people about it if I spoke about it on because Joyful Joy started off as me kind of just talking about getting better from a mental health breakdown. To be able to talk about it and have a community of people who understood was incredible, incredible. I, for the first time in my own sort of recovery, I didn't feel alone. Mm, I think you just bring up such a good point there about just talking about it more. Because I just think so many people with eating disorders you know, understandably, maybe for very good reasons, find it very hard to talk about how they feel, to talk openly and internalise so much of that. And I think it just leaves you feeling so lonely and isolated, doesn't it? And actually, once you start talking, you kind of unblock some of those channels, don't you? And you realise that you're, you're not alone. Other people could feel like this too. 
Completely. And I think that's the difficulty as well with, with any mental health issue is that you do feel like you're the only person in the world that feels all these things, not in a selfish way, not like, like I'm making it sound like, but you aren't aware of the fact that I think you think you, you compare yourself to everybody else and think that everybody else is perfect and normal and they, they deal with emotions appropriately and they're always mentally stable and they never have any issues. And when things are stressful, they, turn to healthy coping mechanisms and actually everybody's dealing with something and the more we talk about it the less people feel alone the less people feel that they're different that they're odd that there's something wrong with them mm. it makes us so human I'm about to say it's like really philosophical but to suffer is to be human it's part of life it's but it's it's how you deal with it and it's about talking about it to others and not being alone in it we you know no man is an island mm, no I so agree actually it just makes me think of the sort of Kristen Neff stuff on self-compassion about just how in a way we have got a shared humanity and in a way whatever you're going through somebody else is going to be going through it or something very yeah. similar at that exact moment as well we all do suffer don't we it's very true yeah. So Joy, how do you work to find a healthy balance with food and exercise and everything in your life today? I constantly step outside of myself. So what I mean by that is that I'm very reflective of what I'm doing in my life. So if I have a bad body image day and I'm like, oh, well, I need to do this. I'm like, I step outside of myself and I'm like, whoa, okay. Is that what you'd say to a friend? Is that what we'd, we'd actually do? So I'm constantly reflecting on what is healthy and what is unhealthy in terms of like what is old eating disorder language and what is healthy joy language. Exercise is something that's really important to me, I, but it's more now something that I do to be strong. I want to be strong and I want to be healthy and I want to have a long life and I want to have energy. So I have exercise in my life to get stronger, not to get smaller. And I am someone who really loves intuitive eating. I think it really helped me with my recovery. And it means that I never thought I'd say this, but there are no fear foods anymore because everything is is neutral. Everything it's not like, oh, it's only a weekend food or it's only a birthday food. It's, it's food. <laughs> mm. it's, it's what's keeping me going. It's what's keeping me alive. It's what's giving me energy. That really, really, like intuitive eating has really reframed the way that I think with food. Yeah, no, sure. Well, it's so great to hear, Joy. I think it's just so inspiring as well for people listening to hear, because I think you've really been on quite a journey, haven't you? And you've been to some sort of the real depths of an eating disorder and you've been through the whole wellness thing, but actually you have come out the other side. And I know that hasn't been an easy, straightforward road, but you know, you're living proof that it's possible. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think that's just yeah, really encouraging and inspiring for people. So Joy, I'm going to ask you just a few quick fire questions now. So what would your last supper three course meal be? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I was speaking to my mum about this earlier on and she was like, that is such a morbid question. And I was like, I constantly ask my friends this, but fine. (laughs) I would say, so I'm lactose intolerant, but I love cheese so much. 
So my starter would be some kind of like cheese board with like melty cheeses and like bread, like some artisanal bread oh, and some butter, <laughs> it, all the good stuff. And yeah. my main would be steak and chips. <laughs> <laughs> and my dessert would be, oh, something to do with salted caramel. So maybe like, like cookie dough with salted caramel. <laughs> <laughs> oh no sounds delicious <laughs> do you have a favorite quote or mantra I'm finding it really difficult to pick just one so I've got two if that's okay if I'm allowed oh. to bend the rule <laughs> one is one that my mum taught me and helped me through so much and it's a sister Julian of Norwich quote and it's all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well it's just, I just find it, it just brings me so much peace when I'm dealing with things that are difficult. It's just to remind myself that, you know, everything is temporary and things move forward. And then my second one is one that really helped me when I started engaging in full recovery. And I actually now have it tattooed on my foot is she who is brave is free. Mm. And I kept reminding myself that when I was, going through all these difficult things and going through all these difficult emotions is that, yeah, she who is brave is free. Mm, Gosh, I love both of those quotes, actually. I'm going to like remember them. (laughs) (laughs) The first one as well, it it is really kind of, it does give you a real sense of peace and calm, doesn't it? Yeah. And the second one, I think as well, I just feel a real kind of sense of freedom hearing it. Yeah. Um, So thank you for sharing those. And can you tell us something about you that may surprise us? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I tried to rectify this fact earlier this evening by trying to do this thing. <laughs> My stepdad used to be a gymnastics coach. So he was trying to coach me through it and I still haven't done it. I screamed and I got scared. I have never done a forward roll. <laughs> Gosh, how interesting. (laughs) I have a complete fear of going completely like rotating upside down. So yeah, maybe I'm 28. I've never done a forward roll. (laughs) I just said she was brave as free, but I couldn't even do a forward roll. (laughs) We are channeling your bravery, I think, in other directions, aren't you? More meaningful directions. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Tomorrow's another day. I could do a forward roll tomorrow. Absolutely. So Joy as well, where can people find you in terms of like social media and also your podcasts and anywhere else that you want to sort of let us know about? Yes, my Instagram is hello joyful joy and it's the same on Facebook. I do have a blog, it's called joyfuljoy.food.blog. But my main source of energy at the moment is my podcast, which is just called Joyful. And that's all joyful is spelt. So whenever I say joyful joy, joyful is spelt with a double L because I want to exaggerate being full of joy. So, yeah, the podcast is called Joyful. It's on Podbean and on Spotify. But all of the links are through my bio on my Instagram. Okay, lovely. Well, I'm sure people will be wanting to, you know, seek out your podcast and your posts, because I think they do bring so much kind of hope and encouragement and inspiration. So, you know, thank you for all you do with that, Joy. 
thank you. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I know it's just going to inspire and give hope to so many people. So thanks very much. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Joy's information in the show notes. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for regular articles and blogs to your inbox, do sign up at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. If you sign up for my body image booklet, you then are on my mailing list and you will get weekly emails from me. I'm also really excited to tell you that I have launched an online course, Finding Your Food Freedom, 10 Steps Towards Intuitive Eating. And I've got 25% off this until New Year's Eve. So if you're interested in finding an affordable way to really change your relationship with food, do head as well to my website, rethinkyourbody.co.uk. And if you go to the 10 Steps to Intuitive Eating tab, you will find more info about it. Also, if you are a counsellor, therapist, dietitian, nutritionist, working in mental health, and you are interested in improving your skills and learning more about eating disorders and body image, I will be running um, one-day trainings at the end of January and also at the end of February, one in eating disorders, one in body image. So if you're interested in that, again, do go to my website, rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Bye.